0: Spring had arrived and the island was sparkling with flowers. Lambs with flapping tails gambolled under the olives, crushing the yellow crocuses under their tiny hooves. Baby donkeys with bulbous and uncertain legs munched among the asphodels. The ponds and streams and ditches were tangled in chains of spotted toads spawn. The tortoises were heaving aside their winter bedclothes of leaves and earth, and the first butterflies. Winter faded and frayed, were flitting wanly among the flowers. In the crisp, heady weather, the family spent most of its time on the veranda, eating, sleeping, reading or just simply arguing. It was here once a week that we used to congregate to read our mail, which Spiro had brought out to us. The bulk of it consisted of gun catalogues for Leslie, fashion magazines for Margot and animal journals for myself. Larry's post generally contained books and interminable letters from authors, artists and musicians about authors, artists and musicians. Mothers contained a wedge of mail from various relatives, sprinkled with a few seed catalogues. As we browsed, we would frequently pass remarks to one another or read bits aloud. This was not done with any motive of sociability, for no other member of the family would listen anyway, but merely because we seemed unable to extract the full flavour of our letters and magazines unless they were shared. Occasionally, however, an item of news would be sufficiently startling to rivet the family's attention on it, and this happened one day in spring, when the sky was like blue glass, and we sat in the dappled shade of the vine, devouring our mail. Oh, this is nice, look, organdy with puffed sleeves, I think I'd prefer it in velvet, though, or maybe a brocade top with a flared skirt. Now, that's nice. It would look good with a long white glove, or one of those sort of summery hats, wouldn't it? A pause. The faint sound of Lugarezia moaning in the dining room mingled with the rustle of paper. Roger yawned loudly, followed, in succession, by puke and whittle. God, what a beauty! Look at her! Telescopic sights, bolt action, what a beaut! <sighs> 150. not really expensive, I suppose. Now this is good value. Let's see, double barrel, choke, yes. I suppose one really needs something a bit heavier for ducks. Roger scratched his ears in turn, twisting his head on one side, a look of bliss on his face, groaning gently with pleasure. Whittle lay down and closed his eyes. Puke vainly tried to catch a fly, his jaws clopping as he snapped at it. Ah, Antoine's had a poem accepted at last. Real talent there, if only you can dig down to it. Varlane started a printing press in a stable. <laughs> Limited editions of his own works. Oh, God. George Bullock's trying his hand at portraits. Portraits, I ask you? He couldn't paint a candlestick. Good book here you should read, Mother. The Elizabethan Dramatists. Wonderful piece of work. Some fine stuff in it. Roger worked his way over his hindquarters in search of a flea using his front teeth like a pair of hair clippers, snuffling noisily to himself. Whittle twitched his legs and tail minutely, his ginger eyebrows going up and down in astonishment at his own dream. Puke lay down and pretended to be asleep, keeping an eye cocked for the fly to settle. Aunt Mabel's moved to Sussex, she says. Henry's passed all his exams and is going into a bank, at least... I think it's a bank. Her writing's really awful, in spite of that expensive education she's always boasting about. Uncle Stephen's broken his leg, poor old dear. Done something to his bladder. No, I see, really, this writing. He broke his leg falling off a ladder. Well, you'd think he'd have more sense to go up a ladder at his age. Ridiculous. Tom's married, one of the garnet girls. Mother always left till last a fat letter, addressed in large, firm, well-rounded handwriting, which was the monthly instalment from great-aunt Hermione. Her letters invariably created an indignant uproar among the family, so we all put aside our mail and concentrated, when Mother, with a sigh of resignation, unfurled the twenty-odd pages, settled herself comfortably, and began to read. "'She says that the doctors don't hold out much hope for her,' observed Mother." They haven't held up any hope for her for the last 40 years and she's still as strong as an ox, said Larry. She says she's always thought it a little peculiar of us rushing off to Greece like that, but they've just had a bad winter and she thinks that perhaps it was wise of us to choose such a salubrious climate. Salubrious? What a word to use! Oh heavens! Oh no! Oh Lord! What's the matter? She says she wants to come and stay. The doctors have advised a warm climate. "'No, I refuse. I couldn't bear it,' shouted Larry, leaping to his feet. "'It's bad enough being shown Lugarezia's gums every morning without having great-aunt Hermione dying by inches all over the place. You'll have to put her off, mother. Tell her there's no room.' "'But I can't, dear. I told her in the last letter what a big villa we had.' "'She's probably forgotten,' said Leslie, hopefully. "'She hasn't. She mentions it here. Where is it?' Oh yes, here you are. As you now seem to able to afford such extensive establishment, I am sure, Louis dear, that you would not begrudge me a small corner to an old woman who has not much longer to live. There you are. What on earth can we do? Uh, Write and tell her we've got an epidemic of smallpox raising out here and send her a photograph of Margot's acne, suggested Larry. Don't be silly, dear. Besides, I told her how healthy it is here. Oh, really, mother, you are impossible exclaimed Larry angrily. I was looking forward to a nice quiet summer's work with just a few select friends, and now we're going to be invaded by that evil old camel smelling of mothballs and singing hymns in the lavatory. really, dear, you do exaggerate, and I don't know why you have to bring lavatories into it. I've never heard her sing hymns anywhere. She does nothing else but sing hymns, lead kindly light, while everyone queues on the landing well, anyway, I think we've got to think of a good excuse. I can't write and tell her we don't want her because she sings hymns. Why not? Don't be unreasonable, dear. After all, she is a relation. What on earth's that got to do with it? Why should we have to fawn all over the old hag because she's a relation, when the really sensible thing to do would be to burn her at the stake? But she's not as bad as that, protested mother half-heartedly. My dear mother, Of all the foul relatives with which we are cluttered, she is definitely the worst. Why you keep in touch with her, I cannot, for the life of me, imagine. Well, I've got to answer her letters, haven't I? Why? Just write, gone away, across them, and send them back. I couldn't do that, dear, they'd recognise my handwriting, said Mother vaguely. Besides, I've opened this now. Can't one of us write and say you're ill, suggested Margot. Yes, we'll say the doctors have given up hope said Leslie. I'll write the letter, said Larry, with relish. I'll get one of those lovely black-edged envelopes. That will add an air of verisimilitude to the whole thing. You'll do nothing of the sort, said Mother firmly. If you did that, she'd come straight out to nurse me. You know what she is. Why keep in touch with them? That's what I want to know, asked Larry despairingly. What satisfaction does it give you? They're all either fossilised or mental. "'Indeed, they're not mental,' said Mother indignantly. "'Nonsense, Mother. Look at Aunt Bertha keeping flocks of imaginary cats. "'And this great-uncle Patrick, who wanders about nude "'and tells complete complete strangers how he killed whales with a penknife. "'They're all bats.' "'Well, they're queer, but they're all very old, and so they're bound to be. "'But they're not mental,' explained Mother, adding candidly. "'Anyway, not enough to be put away.' "'Well, if we're going to be invaded by relations, there's only one thing to do,' said Larry resignedly. "'What's that?' inquired Mother, peering over her spectacles expectantly. "'We must move, of course.' "'Move? Move where?' asked Mother, bewildered. "'Move to a smaller villa. "'Then you can write to all these zombies and tell them we haven't any room. "'Don't be stupid, Larry. We can't keep moving. "'We moved here in order to cope with your friends.' Well, now we'll have to move to cope with the relations. But we can't keep rushing to and fro about the island. People will think we've gone mad. They'll think we're even madder if that old harpy turns up. Honestly, Mother, I couldn't stand it if she came. I should probably borrow one of Leslie's guns and blow a hole in her corsets. Larry, I do wish you wouldn't say things like that in front of Jerry. I'm just warning you. There was a pause while Mother polished her spectacles feverishly. But it seems so so eccentric to keep changing villas like that, dear, she said at last. There's nothing eccentric about it, said Larry, surprised. It's a perfectly logical thing to do. Of course it is, agreed Leslie. It's a sort of self-defence, anyway. Do be sensible, mother, said Margot. After all, a change is as good as a feast. So, bearing that novel proverb in mind, we moved.